evening, good evening, good evening. Thank you for listening to another podcast by another KG, Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc Podcast. We'll get right into it. Got a, it's going to be a basketball-dominated podcast, fellas. It's, um, oh, yeah, we good. Didn't know we good. Right. We All good. Right. So, gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing just fine. Doing just fine. Doing well. Well, I'm KG. I am a University of Houston alum and proud of it. The men's and women's basketball teams have been in the news the last few days. I am glad to say the search is over on women's side. UH has announced that Ronald Huey will be the new head coach of the women's basketball program. Wildcat, do you want to read his bio or do you want me to do it? I can do it, sir. I can do it. You got it. Former Florida State assistant coach Ronald Huey will become the next head coach of the University of Houston Women's Basketball Program. Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics, Mac Rhodes, announced Monday evening. He will be announced at 1 p.m. on Tuesday for the... No, that's right. I'm sorry. Things are... Come on, Wildcat, man. Things are, things are moving kind of strange now. Press conference on Tuesday inside the Carl Lewis Auditorium located within the Houston uh, University of Houston Athletics Alumni Center. All fans and media are invited to attend the press conference. Fans and media. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Whatever. They're asking. They're asking for support. I hope fans do attend. I really oh, do. Oh, trust me now. I, I really do. I'll so. be there. Hope it's more fans, as many or more fans there than for the Kelvin Sampson press conference. But I doubt it. Huey, Huey will become the seventh head coach in the program history. He comes to Houston as one of the rising stars in the industry and is regarded as one of the top assistants in the game. He's been on, on six consecutive NC2A tournament coaching staffs with four different schools in Florida State, Texas, Rutgers, and UCF. In all, he has helped lead five schools to seven postseason appearances in ten years as a Division One coach. As we went through our coaching search, we spoke with many different people who knew Huey well and on and off the court. Huey's energy, excitement, and commitment to his student-athletes were apparent from our very first meeting. He is one of the rising stars in this industry, and we're excited to have him join our University of Houston Athletics family, Rose said. The South Carolina... Stop. Let me get on, let me get on the bio. Okay. All that kind of stuff. No That's problem. Rose quotes and... A little bit of his background. One, one paragraph, and then I'll, I'll be done. All right. While at Texas, he helped land the, the nation's number 10 recruiting class in t- 2011 and the country's 13th in 2012. He kept his magic working at Florida State. He helped the Seminoles haul in the nation's number 11 ranked class in 2013. Will he be able, as a landscape sits now, to get University of Houston Lady Cougars into postseason play within two years. He better. He wasted higher if he can't do it to get it done in two years. But I'm glad you asked that question, sir. Right. I got a when the news broke by the Chronicle of Joseph Duarte this evening of four thirty, five o'clock, give him kudos for breaking the story and publicizing on the Chronicle website. Um I had a chance to contact a few coaches and some AAU people to get their reaction on a coach you becoming the new head coach for U of H. And most of the comments about a dog were positive. Uh, here are some of the quotes. You could go to my women's hoops blog at 
thehr.com and, and read the blog post for more of the quotes right off the bat. Uh, the question was, what do you think of Ronald Huey, Huey if you ate? Good fit? Quote, absolutely. Great dude. Energetic. End quote. Another quote. He knows his stuff. Great recruiter. Another one. Huey is a dynamic recruiter. He will do his best to keep Houston kids in Houston and is excellent in developing post players. He'll give the program a jolt of energy. Now, for a not as glowing positive comment, he's an experienced recruiter, which UH needs. If there are any red flags, it will be a lot of one or two year stops. That and not sure how minority he- male head coach played in South Texas at a non HBCU. As with all head coach hires, who he has on staff be critically important, end quote. And that is definite. Because Wildcat touched on and read in the presser, I do not believe he's been a head coach in his previous stops. So that is going to be, it's not a knock on him, just he hasn't done it yet. So we'll have to see if he can, how well he is with the X's and O's and, and how, he, how he runs the practice, how he runs all those things. Now, my question is, that's pretty dynamic. If, if that's true, send it, um, we put, we're gonna, I'm gonna put it in this phrase. It's in black and white. It'll be printed in the paper in tomorrow, in, in print tomorrow. But my question is, with that much experience, apparently he comes from the summer program. And if he hadn't, it's, it's, and that's, if that's the only prerequisite that he has as a head coach, that sits, doesn't sit well with me. The only reason I'm saying that is because most coaches that step up that haven't had a college head coaching job at least had a head coaching job on the high school level. And right here, nowhere is it mentioned. That's pretty a bold hire, in my opinion. I mean, I, I like for anybody to get an opportunity, but just on face value, um, it's, it leaves a lot of questions. You putting yeah. a lot, you you're putting the program in, in somebody's hands that you know you just handing them the key. Yeah, but I think you do that anytime you hire a coach. But you would like to think there's more variables involved to suggest that the individual has a great opportunity to have some level of success. And without having that level of experience, at some level, as you talked about, you're taking a huge risk. But oftentimes with a huge risk can come a huge reward or obviously a huge failure. So that's why I said that this is is dynamic on many levels. You're obviously in a conference with, you know, the nation's preeminent program in terms of what you're trying to catch up with and make a statement. So oftentimes you do have to go off the beaten path to try to, to rectify that. But, again, my only concern uh, is the fact that, as you said, he doesn't have the uh, head coaching experience. So now you're not only talking about that you're going into a conference and, as the guy suggested, or the quote read, I should say, in regards going into the Southwest region, a hotbed of talent, which is good. He's going to be able to crack that nugget, but to close the door in terms of handing, uh, their daughter over to you as a male, you know, that's one major component, uh, that is a bridge that is not often, uh, fault, but then you look at it in terms of a minority male, uh, it's something that hasn't had a level of success. On the women's side, let's be frank, it doesn't mean that it can't, but most of them haven't even had the opportunity. So to crash that door, 
uh, is a huge statement, so you give them credit for being able to do that. But I'm talking about measuring levels of success. I'm saying that there is huge shoes to fill in terms of getting that done. Again, we're not saying he can't do that, but we're trying to be open in regards to how difficult uh, this task is in front of him. And that's without without any of the other components that we're talking about. Uh, as you said, running practice, what does that all mean? How do you put that all together and uh, putting your staff? So I think the biggest point comes to your final statement that you said in regards to him being able to put a solid staff together. And to be frank, we live in America where uh, people's complexion, uh, people's gender does matter in terms of the hiring process, uh, what salary they are. We Studies have openly suggested that these are areas where America has gotten, frankly, better, but the door in terms of the volume and the distance has not been closed. So to be able to do that, in my opinion, to have some level of success is that you may not want to, but you have to understand the dynamics you work with. And as you push him forward, you can start to close it. But he needs to have somebody on that staff where when he goes into that house to recruit, uh, being the person that he is, that that person can make that individual household very comfortable in, in terms of being able to sign and get it done. So that's off the court. And then obviously we have to find out who he is on the court. And only time will tell in terms of being able to put all those things together. So in talk, in regards to making a bold move, particularly financially, if uh, this is where the program is, I think it's a huge statement. And it'll be interesting because, like I say many times with any hire, it's a case study. And this is a case study that is almost unbeknownst to what we've seen in women's sports. So it's going to be interesting to follow because, uh, we can throw up marbles and dice in the air and we just don't know where it's going to really going to fall because there are so many variables that have just not been in play yet for us to really create a huge dynamic and suggest whether this will or won't work. And that's why, in my opinion, there's so many questions that are out there. And there's so many questions that we've all brought up. In addition to this, how much support will he receive from the administration? And as you, and that's probably the biggest one of the one, one of the, the biggest the biggest pieces of the puzzle that has to be done. Um, not so much of a complaint, but more of a panel discussion when we go to the final four. How much is the administration of the university is committed to winning? Yeah, and, you know, and, and our frank, facilities, money, you know, whatever. With any coach in any sport at any level or any job. That's going to be your major question that you need to know is how much real support are you going to get? It becomes even more critical when all the other outlying forces that we talk about come into play. How much real support are you going to get in terms of the administration? And I would suggest secondarily from the alumni. And that's going to be a key as well. That's definitely going to be a key is the support from the alums and the boosters because it hasn't been there. And women's basketball side for years. It wasn't there. It was there to some extent in the golden era when Chandy Jones and Sansa Little led them the two back to two consecutive NCAA tournament trips, but it wasn't there when you compare it to a program like Connecticut or heck, A&M, Baylor, or Texas here in the state. So we'll see if that support will grow and we'll see if 
if Coach Huey is able to make the alums and the boosters comfortable and willing to support him and the program with their money, with anything, and to and be frank, support. in my opinion, you said two years. I think that's uh, man, that's a normal task. I say I'd also say with time. Well, he, well he, he, didn't, he didn't say he didn't say NCAA tournament. I said postseason. He said postseason tournament because that's WBI, WNIT. You know, so <laughs> that's, that's the levels there. That the, the program hadn't been at yeah. a point to where yeah, there's a, a, a at, the at, the, at the beginning at the at the beginning of the season. That's a huge distinction that must be made. I mean, it's, let's be honest. At the beginning of the season, there's nothing put on the wall that says that's where we're going at the end of the year. Nothing. Because there, I mean, there's they, not a lot of talent on they, that team right now. And they've been not so much had so their hand to it. They've been class, right? It's oh, yes. It's dead and over. Signing period started. Spring period began last Wednesday, 16. Well, but you ain't going to make a huge. I, I've run, always so been. You're really looking at next year. So. I, I've, I've <laughs> been there of the mindset, whoever comes in and when they came in, they're going to have to go the JUCO route to restock. And that's only because yeah, of the lateness. That's huge. Where are they? And where are they with the APR issue now? Well, that's that's going to be a huge yes. determining factor of whether you can even go the two-year route based on where you sit with the APR. Oh. If you're in a position that there are not very high scores, the compliance office, generally speaking, is going to make, make a suggestion that going the two-year route is probably not an option. So that's something that you got to consider. Figuring all this too, every variable. That's why I said there are all these variables that are in play. Most of them we have some type of framework for. Some of them we frankly don't know. But I want to make sure it's on the table. That in the past you could just say, "All right, I'm going to the two year route in JUCO." That's not quite the same option now when you had an APR issue on the table. And let me say that's this. That's why we got you here. And let me say you this. You corrected me and, and, and took me to a realm I hadn't been before. In the, I like that. In, the, in November, the previous coaching staff, Todd Buchanan and his staff, signed four recruits, two junior college players and two high school seniors. Heights, 5'10", 5'7", 5'8", and 6'1". Wildcat, those are guards at Connecticut. Not forwards, especially not at a front court big. Yeah, especially at six one. This that's the scary part. Dude. This is a big girl conference. Those heights, unless they have absolute quickness, will not get it done in the American Athletic Conference. There's no Shannon Bobbin in that crew. So, Coach Huey and his staff, whatever the staff he finalized put together, has the work cut out for them on many levels. Shift gears to the men on the fella side. I'm not gonna spend too much on that because we got a lot to talk about here. Um, I'll let Doc talk about uh, Tayshawn Thomas and Daniel House doing their uh, skip to Malou. Following their appeal, problems they've requested transfers from University of Houston. U of H placed restrictions on them. What are your t- thoughts on that? Uh, well, you know I'm always in favor of the, of the athlete that what the NCAA refers to as the student athlete. Uh, I refer them to as students that happen to be athletes as well. They're athlete students. That's what they are. <laughs> I ask well, questions I'm, all the time whether they're student athletes, athletes. Because I always, my, my phrase is, and I'm going to let you go with it, Doc. Uh, are you going to school to play sports? Or are you using sports to go to school? And when, when you get those, one of those questions that I answer, 
you can pretty much tell what a mindset is. Not so much of the kid, but more so what's going on in the environment around. It. Particularly on the uh, the men's side, um, it, it's terrible because everybody thinks they're going pro. There's nothing wrong with dreaming, but uh, your dreams need to be in a framework where you can make sure that they become reality based on the given situation. I don't always think they do that, but no, I believe that uh, transfer uh, individuals should be able to transfer without a great deal of repercussion. Um, you already have the issue with them sitting out. And I, I have some understanding of the basic guidelines where you don't allow a student to transfer within your conference. Not always just for the students, but there's some tampering that can go on there. So I can respect that at some level. But when you start crossing on the fact that they can't even attend the institu- institution within the state, uh, I think it's just ridiculous, to be frank. Um, no, no matter how mad you are as a student, but at some thing, it's just a power struggle, and it's just about people being able to make a statement, and it just tells you again how much control the NCA and the coaches have, which is more of an example of why that ruling came out uh, in terms of this being basically a job for the students. When you can set that kind of criteria, it, it, it makes it even more difficult for people to argue the students are not employees. I mean, an employee doesn't have that type of re- restriction, uh, other than unless they were under a contract. And so again, <laughs> you're under a contract, you get more into that definition that you are an employee. And so you have one angle where they're trying to tell you it doesn't exist, but every guideline and rule suggests that it does. And then the contract is just the year to year. So all the contract is one way that supports the coaches and the institutions. So I just don't understand. Uh, well, I do. I shouldn't say that. I do understand those that have the power and able to push themselves uh, with that agenda and power will do so and until the students wake up and decide that they are sick and tired of being sick and tired, it will continue. So, no, generally speaking, I think it's ridiculous and it, it's a sad state for U of H. Uh, to get that out there in a market where they need all the positive uh, information and marketing and promotions out there and to create that negative pub uh, just didn't help U of H uh, in terms of the overall direction they're trying to go with that. I'm glad you said that, Doc. I'm glad you're taking that viewpoint because I'm going to take the viewpoint as a U of H alum. Get my view, my media credential right now. I'm coming from a U of H alum standpoint. First, I'm going to give just a little bit of background for anybody who's listening and doesn't know some of the details. Daniel House is a sophomore. Tayshon Thomas is a junior. Two leading scorers for the Cougars this past season under Coach Dickey. They both asked for their release uh, to explore. This is from the Chronicle. Uh, other options following Coach Dickey's resignation in March 24th. But Mac Rhodes, uh, AD, whatever, was his vice president of intercollegiate athletics. Vice, <coughs> vice president. I went to collegiate athletics. athletics. Stated that uh, school's long-standing policy uh, request would not be considered until a new coach was hired and had an opportunity to build relationships with the players. Kelvin Sampson was named head coach on April 3rd. He met with the players, Thomas and House, I believe April 2nd or 3rd. And House and Thomas said, we still want to transfer. Juliette said, okay, we're not going to approve your transfers just yet. So the players decided to go appeal that decision before a, a student 
counsel, basically, appeals counsel. And that process uh, took place this past Friday, and uh, it was determined that U of H would grant the players a release with stipulations that they could not play in the state of Texas or any opponent on the Cougar schedule in 14-15 or 15-16. Uh, you know, so that's those are the two things. That Penny! Penny! So, you know, folks can say that. Penny! And, and that's fine. And, and, and you touched on it a, a little bit. It doesn't look good for a school to abuse, have that power, but the NCAA allows it. So as long as the NCAA allows it, the school's going to do it. No question about it. Now, when it first happened and it was announced that the uh, young men requested their release, I was already told two schools that they were one going to one school, one going to the other. Those schools are in state of Texas. So it wasn't like um, this was just something that was um, was not long in coming. They Somebody had already got this ball rolling for these kids to go somewhere in state of Texas. Well, okay, so that's one thing there. So I'm sure you've heard about that because I, I, I don't have all the sources in the world. So I'm sure they heard that and said, okay, well, y'all think y'all slick. We're not going to let you do that. So that's why they put this in Texas. You know, you can't, you can't go to any schools in Texas. But well, somewhat it was mentioned in, in the broad, broadness of the uh, interview of a uh, writer that one or both was definitely intended on not staying, not staying at the University of Houston, whether Coach Dickey was going to be there or not. Somebody was leaving. That was House. Everybody expected Danny House to leave. House thought about leaving last year, but the place where the, he wanted the, to go the, didn't want him. The problem. Time. There you go. The the surprise was Tayshawn Thomas because Tayshawn Junior only has one year of eligibility left. That was the bigger surprise of him wanting to leave. And the surprising thing to me. Because, you know, both young men are on Twitter and both have been, I think, bombarded with negative tweets about making poor decisions and things of that sort and questioning their ability to make decisions for themselves, getting bad advice from, you know, other people, outside influences. Daniel House tweeted, you know, to folks thinking that I'm not making decisions, I'm doing this, I'm making decisions for myself. So, okay, I still don't believe you. And I say that because I'm not going to say the man's name, but there is a gentleman who put on Twitter, Friday that U of H is on the blacklist. You put that in hashtag blacklist until U of H frees Daniel House and Tayshawn Thomas and allows them to go where they want to go. That's what he put on Twitter. This gentleman is a, an AAU person. He has been described in other terms by some Cougar alums, but I'll just say he's an AAU person. I'm not even going to say whatever part of Texas that he's from, but he's an AAU person. So he put that out there for everybody to see on Twitter. Yeah, I think I saw it. So I responded to his tweet. And, Ellis, I've kept quiet and, through this whole and, process. And, and, yes, and, and please keep quiet. Uh, and I and I said to him, I responded. That's an interesting tweet, and it's clear that you don't like U of H. And he he commented a few minutes. Later, I gave him credit for responding. He he said, "No, let me pull up the tweet. I want to get it right. Get this read this verbatim from this fellow, whose name you can research on other internet sites who." Have little, have created forums for this man specifically to take shots at him. His response, response to me was, no, I don't like the school that hold kids back. They should have hired someone that can relate to the kids. Okay. 
that's not the that's not the person's job that's doing the hiring. Thank you. One there. Kelvin Sampson, coach on Rockets staff, NBA staff, NBA staff. One of the people that he is was closely tied to, closest to on the Rockets team, is James Harden. James Harden, 24 years old, superstar. So I think James Harden could say to that gentleman, and Coach Sampson played to me pretty well, considering House and Thomas are 20 and 21. So it's not that much of a difference right there. So to tie that all in, that man has an agenda. Clearly, he doesn't like U of H. Fine. Don't really care. I know you, you don't have to like U of H. You don't have to like a lot of schools. But he's closed his doors. Like you said, he said put blacklist until they free House and Thomas to go where they want to go. That's how you put it. Free them to go where they want to go. Okay. Fine. Sunday. Sunday morning. <laughs> Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday. U of H announced, well, not really U of H. That was late on in the college today, really. Two junior college players at their own Twitter accounts announced that they had signed with the University of Houston. Torian Graham, Torian Graham and Eric Weary at their own Twitter account announced that they had signed with the Cougars. 20, 21 years old. Both of them said how much they, why they chose U of H because they related Coach Sampson thought he's, he thinks he's a great coach can help them improve their skills, and they felt like he related to them. So I tweeted, not to the gentleman directly, specifically, but I said, based on these two signings, it looks like Coach Sampson can relate to the kids. So that's a shot to that man, and I hope he knows who I'm talking to about him. But anyhow, that's being petty. I really don't care right now. Because I'm, like I said, this is my be Cougar free. moment. Be this free. is my Cougar moment as be an free. alum. But Torian Graham, six foot four, and as you know, because I text you, I think I text you as well, Doc. Yeah, oh yeah. About the, the information I discovered the about Mr. Graham that took place earlier this year. He and two other teammates at, uh, was it Chipola? Chipola Junior yes. College? Were arrested, pulled over and arrested for, uh, I think initially for speeding, but they're arrested for ingesting marijuana. So I was concerned, like, what in the world is U of A doing signing this young man? Hopefully they know what they're getting into. Hopefully that issue had been resolved. A few weeks later, it had been resolved and the felony charges had been dropped because he was initially suspended and definitely by the Chipola basketball team. But the charges were dropped, but he was allowed to play and help lead them to the junior college uh, tournament. He's 6'4". He averaged 13 points a game this season. He's a dynamic scorer. He's athletic, etc. He's got all the basketball skills. Um, Eric Weary, 6'5". Howard College in New Orleans. Initially played in Mexico State out of high school. Red-shirted. He played 10 games for New Mexico State, but only played 48 minutes before he transferred to Howard uh, Junior College. So, both these young men are athletic wing players, two-guard wing players. So, it seems like the Cougars are, Coach Sampson is going to play a lot of 6'4", 6'5", guys. There's not a lot of height on this team. There's not a lot of bigs oh, on this team. And everybody find that out. They were short. And you're going to need, you'll, you'll need some size to defend the paint. And at least be a deterrent to guys in the paint. Because UConn proved this year, and 
college basketball is a guard league. No question. So you don't have you don't have to have dominant low post players and all those kind of guys demand the paint. In fact, I think big men to dominate right. at the college level. So it's Five better to be you know have more versatile and, and be more versatile on the perimeter, especially. I hope these guys can play defense because that was a huge problem for the Cougars under Coach Dickey was defending the perimeter. But they they beat out they beat out uh, Eric Weary chose the Cougars of Oklahoma State, Florida International, West Kentucky, and Penn State. So Oklahoma State is the biggest name out of that group there. And uh, Torian Graham had Kentucky on his list initially, and some other schools that he uh, had because he committed and decommitted to North Carolina State twice. And then he decided to you know. Put the name back out there and consider his options. Ultimately, he's chosen the Cougars. Uh, Brad Winston of JucoRecruiting.com tweeted about the signing and commitments for U of A's. Two impressive Juco additions for Houston this morning, this is yesterday, Sunday. Torian Graham and Eric Worry are both impact players who will help immediately. I hope that is the case. I think Torian Graham and Cougars released today on Monday was as high as a top 40 uh, prospect in the country. So hopefully both young men will come in, play defense, listen, learn, and get better and help the Cougars uh, get to the NCAA tournament. I'm done now. Well, that's great information. And the only thing I will say from my my point of view, it sounds like uh, the, the business of college of sports with all the stuff going back and forth. <laughs> and it sounds like the young people are in the middle. Yes, and uh, without a doubt. The intriguing part to me is you have all these people that have their interests. They say. You know, no, I would, both, all of them have their own personal invested interests. You mean in, in, in the players or themselves? No, themselves. Oh, you're definitely that. Oh, yes. Themselves. Whether right. it's in regards to supporting the institution or whether it's in terms of them uh, supporting themselves in some framework of trying to set up stuff, uh, which is fine, which again is the business of college sports and professional sports at that level. Uh, you just don't get paid in the same manner in regards to one to the other. But, my simplest retort on all that, because it was very good information out there, uh, but what I was looking at is really in the interest of students. And it doesn't matter to me whether they've been being manipulated by one side of the institution or manipulated outside of that. They're still being manipulated. Uh, ultimately, when are we going to look at the interests of the individual, not in terms of us as an institution or a program, or in regards to how can I uh, position myself to have influence over the players outside of the program. Um, we still have individuals manipulating the students for their best interest, whether that's in terms of looking good, in terms of how things hit the media, or whether that's in terms of making sure you get paid, uh, whether that's as a, a coach, athletic director, or anywhere in between or whether that's in regards to making sure that you get wins uh, in terms of your program from a lung's perspective. So that's the only thing that I have to say in terms of I'm going to stick to my guns in regards to supporting uh, students. Set me free, set me free. Parents are as much an issue during the summer as much as Summer league coach, the kid, and other outside forces, including college coaches, that gives me headaches as I sit and watch games on both. Now it's starting to 
be seen on the girl's side, not as much, but enough to create enough headaches that some of these coaches are basically saying, looking at, why do I do this? Only because it's needed. The men have basically just put a clamp down that says, if I need the kid, I'm going to do what I got to do, get it done, and move on. But once I get that but, signature on it. And it, I totally agree with you. And once I get that signature. My thing is, is we created this beast. Oh, we created this. Oh, no, because I'm a part, I'm not a part of what's out here now. I'm a part of what got it started back when the state of Texas was not a outside state of Texas basketball venue as far as high school sports, high school basketball. And that was like But I'm 80. saying on a bigger level in terms of what you're saying micro, but I'm saying, I mean. Well, in, the, in, I'm headed that way. In terms of the macro from the standpoint that we all have had vested, vested interest in creating the base that we call intercollegiate athletics. And everybody has played their role in terms of the solutions and the problems that exist. So for me, uh, it's always funny when things don't go our way when we want to say, oh, wayward are the kids in terms of what took place. Kids follow the leadership of the adults and those that provide them uh, avenue to do that. True. Um, I remember two in- instances during my time on the sidelines during the summer, and it's, the last one was why I just said, screw this, I'm done. And wasn't I didn't get back in until my nephew was in the process and trying to get this, trying to get situated because I didn't want no headache. I mean, I'm I don't want to be. My brother was calling me, and you know, it's like, hey, needs some help with this, needs some help with that. I was like, okay, don't call me no more. I'm just get it done. I I, I started right, but, and, I, and I can I can appreciate you stepping back and saying that I don't like the way things are going. Oh no, but I I have a I have a concern when people do that and then complain about. It. Oh, and well, I it's I do stay in in touch only by more so by refereeing than actually or uh, uh, scouting. Uh, that, that, that just that being on the sideline. I said, I respect it. But the only way that I'm going to feel comfortable about saying, uh, disparaging things or negative things mm-hmm. about those, uh, that I have power influence is if I'm utilizing the power influence. Gotcha. I have gotcha. a concern when individuals, uh, for lack of better words, disparage people that are trying to do something and you're not helping them try to do it or influence the way they're getting it done. Right. And I'll make this quick. Middle of a game, it's like third quarter, fourth quarter, somewhere. I know it was in the second half. Coach gets up, and this was back during the free time when it was all just like pretty much over. Taps me on the shoulder and wants to ask me about a kid's bow in the middle of a game. As I said. And I was... this created it. And... We were at Aldine High School, and I never will forget this as long as I live because it, it still bothers me to this day. I jumped up, turned around, and before somebody could get to where they needed to get to to grab hold of me, five minutes had to happen, and I let the guy have it. Screamed, hollered, cussed, didn't care, and told him he needed to get up and out and leave, not just the gym. Uh, probably he needs to be getting out of the state. <laughs> I didn't want to see him no more the rest of the week, and this was like on a Monday, yeah. and we had to go until the uh, weekend. All right, all right. And it was this look on everybody's face, like, "What the hell just happened?" 
Well, some of them pushed that butt. And this guy pushed the butt. And yes, he didn't look like me. And I didn't care. And it was just basically, a headache is a headache. And when I want a headache gone, I'm going to do what I got to do. I see. Let me, let me shift some gears a little bit. We're still going to get hot and heavy in discussion. Real quickly, uh, gentlemen, who are you? I am Silkwater Wildcat. You can find me on the platform, on the uh, media platforms of Blogger, YouTube, uh, Twitter, uh, as AKSV, the CSR. That's my handle. On Twitter is JL Woodley Jr. 1. Doc? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, Professor of Sports Management at Texas Southern University, as well as a sports business analyst uh, on the side doing radio reports. And a good one. My main, thank you. My main interest is regards to HBCU sports. I do poll release. And in fact, this week I've just released my HBCU major division and mid-major division men's and women's basketball honors. You can go to thrr.com, the Houston Round Ball Review. Not yet, but you, it'll, be, it'll be up there soon. It will? It will? I've been doing it Rockets will? and the U of H stuff, but it'll be up there. Yeah, it'll yeah. be up for the end of the week. You'll yeah. see it up there pretty quickly. So um, that's the best place to see those kind of things. Those honors are out directly. So, again, you can see a lot of the basketball information I do for HBCU Sports at the Houston Round Ball Review. That's the thrr.com. You can see me on social media platforms. I guess you can call me the student advocate of athletes. A good one. And social that, commentary. And that's we good because we're, we're going to get, get some more into that in just a second. So <laughs> that's fine. Give me a Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. And obviously there are a lot of good things with the NCAA, but uh, as I've always said to people, as we have new and bigger technologies come out, the pendulum swings both ways. The more greater opportunity you have, you also have the more negative opportunities that are juxtaposed against that. So there are a lot of good things that the NCA and sports stand for, uh, but I'm here also to expose that there are also a lot of negative things. So if we don't address the negative things, uh, oftentimes they'll be hitting and we won't really know that they exist and we won't find a way to fix them or make sure that they become better over the long term because we're so focused on just the good and not I'm always the bad. I'm KG of the Houston Round Bar Review, Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube channel. Where we'll talk about the Rockets toward the end of this podcast. Don't worry about that. But the, um, on Twitter, T H E H R Review, we, we have our KG, the Fifth Foot Wildcat and Doc podcast Facebook page and. Doc, want to get you to answer some questions that were yeah. written on the page uh, by one of my good friends. She's in Washington. She listens and supports us. Here are some. Here are her questions related to uh, unionization. We touched on in a podcast weeks ago, which we got awesome positive feedback for. Thanks, thank everyone for thank listening you. for that. Questions: of, Do you think? Day. Do you think uh, they? Let's start here. Um, mm-hmm. Workers' comp, collective bargaining, etc. Do you think they'll be better off organizing small locals or working within conferences or with a larger, more established union? I think it'd be better to start with the larger, more established unions because they're going to have the power structure and the experience 
to allow you to break down this huge system that is anti just about anything in terms of students regarding the power. They'll say that they want to provide them with the opportunity to have a voice, but everything out there suggests that they hope that the players would just um, go away and just be there in terms of play their sports. So in my opinion, it would be best to be supported by some of the most largest, more established unions out there. You have seen the fact that the uh, NFL Players Union has openly stated that they would support them. Uh, you also heard in in some other instances where unions are wanting to support the players. And obviously there is a vested interest of those unions uh, making a statement to suggest how strong they are. But at this point, you have a very established and very strong organization in regards to the NCAA. You can see, by example, how all of the power structure in regards to the presidents and the commissioners have come out lockstep and nod in terms of their statements and what they believe uh, would be the world's end to college athletics as we know it. The doomsday, which is what anybody would always tell you when they don't want something to work. They always tell you the scariest thing that would exist such that people won't really listen, that they'll be frantic and say, hey, this will not work. And we'll get to that in a second. Another question. There's a few that she asked. Uh, do you think, I think you touched on it a little bit, do you think there's the, a game plan who, uh, in this regard? Wait. Who is she? Does she Amy. mind if we use it? No, I don't think Amy mind. I'll just say, I'll, I'll use the first name right there. Yeah, you can go to our podcast page and, and yeah. you see, her, see her whole name. But but uh, she was, took the time I'll say to this, since we were high school classmates, she was Amy Nyland at, at Waltrip. She's now married. So, uh, she, but a question, and she will get kicked out of that. She's a diehard Longhorn. She loves, so is despite that, the fact is that, that the, she's, is that she's a Longhorn. Yeah, my brother. That's Longhorn. So, uh, despite <laughs> that, long despite that thing, my brother is the same way. It's, it's like, it's almost like, you know, they walk on water. <laughs> and I don't say it. Hey, <laughs> if I was as powerful as the structure of University of Texas, and, and particularly the athletic program right now, I would act like I walked on water. Too. And, and this, my okay, brother, go ahead. What's the second There's a game plan uh, in this whole process for the unionization. Basically, Northwestern is in Illinois, which has lots of union shops and uh, circuit court more used to labor issues. Correct. How do you think this might play out differently in right to work states? Oh, I definitely think it's going to be uh, difficult in terms of to get the implementation of work, right to work states. The biggest thing that I would say that the unionization and the reason that they made sure that they strategically picked a private institution in the state of Illinois is the fact that the power of the unionization that she talked about the unions in that area. What I believe that they're looking at is twofold. One, to show that the players uh, are able to get together to some degree to create the power structure that creates change at the various low, lowest level. If they're able to get it at the highest level and actually create the formation of the union, what you'll find out is the very nature of college athletics will kick in from the standpoint if one institution is able to do something, the rest will tend to get on board because they don't want to lose in terms of the recruiting balance. So often people would look at the power structure in regards to what is happening in Northwestern and say that they have an advantage. And so the right-to-work states would somehow try to meet that equalization. And so that's how you would see it 
forming in the right to work states where they create a structure similar to what you see with some of the unions at the teachers level in right to work states and some of the other unions in terms of steel. But the biggest thing is they just won't have the same power structure and power that they do in the union states. And so that's where you'll see the line kind of, uh, disseminate. And what's going to be interesting, uh, I don't like to see too much politics in sports, but let's be truthful. Politics are sports and sports are politics in a lot of ways. And you'll start to see this line of division, which will split up in terms of the two dominant parties, the Democrat party as well as the Republican party. And you actually seen that to some degree playing out in the state of Ohio. Uh, while it is traditionally a more democratic state, you had Republican uh, individuals on their legislative board that had a rule that was subsequently passed that did not allow the unionization of private institutions in the state of Ohio. Then right at the same time, when all that information was coming out, Regards to Yukon and, <laughs> uh, about, uh, talking about that he didn't, he was, well, he went to bed hungry. But yeah. You had the legislative there said that this is ridiculous and it happened to be Democratic people that were talking about that, uh, that they put bylaws on the books such that, uh, colleges, even public institu institutions could unionize. So you start to see this political power structure, uh, line themselves on how they want to play on this game as well. Speaking of that, when you heard, you no, no, we're gonna, we're no, gonna no, pick it back off. The only reason I'm, stuff, I'm, I'm speaking up now is because when you heard, when all three of us heard after after that statement was made that night on national TV, how soon there was an amendment or addendum that was done by the NC2A. It was like we need to correct it right now. Yeah, what we was, don't need a kid. What, what was odd though is that legislation was actually in the works. We have to be careful from the standpoint that they were able to get the legislation through. That just happened to be a weird uh, occasion where that there were paperwork out there that they were all starting to move in this direction. It just freakishly coincided. So instead of the bureaucracy of the NCAA does not move that fast. So basically, that's where many of the problems are happening now with the power struggle of the power five versus the rest. So that that situation pretty much had been tabled until. A, a no, they were working through the process, uh, but the next meeting actually coincided right after this announcement. They just signed it, though. Yeah, and people would never believe it, but <laughs> and, and I me, don't now. <laughs> you're not necessarily supposed to, but I do want it on record. Okay, in regards to the way the NCAA works, <laughs> that it just happened to be the fact that this legislation and the voting power was coming up at the same time that all the noise was made, and uh, they were already moving in that direction. But if you think about it, a lot of the big five have tried to push a lot of this legislation through over the last two years. They just were stopped most of the time by the, uh, if you would, the bigger uh, alignment of the 300. And in fact, this rule still in itself can be vetoed at the lower level in regards to a 66 plus percent of the rest of the body saying that we don't want to go for it. I don't believe it's going to happen because they're not going to see the direct costs associated with it. So most people will get on board and they know the negative public uh, outcry for it. But when they tried to do the stipend, remember it passed right. at this level too. Yeah. But then it came back and was repealed. 
uh, by the rest of the Division One level. And that's where they stuck now because you have the Big Five that have all the television contractual revenue associated with it ready to move out in this sphere where they would do a lot for student-athletes to try to rebuff some of this negative uh, information that's out there versus the other ones that cannot afford. Now, so let's talk. Let's talk. And, and I'm going to okay. let KJ go on. How soon the Big Five will make a roar instead of just uh, yawning? Uh, it's going to be this vote that comes up on the 24th by the Northwestern. That's the huge one to keep your eye on. And then in the summer, uh, when they try to ratify it and the question comes out with, will the rest of the 300 and some Division One schools and the rest of the NCAA institution give the latitude for the Big Five conferences to be able to make essentially their own guideline to operate uh, in the way they see fit on about 15 different bylaws that they want to kind of supersede and create a larger structure of financially and through rules, guidance of how they can separate themselves, still being at the Division One structure, but slightly outside of that in terms of rules that govern them. I'm glad you touched on the uh, April 24th vote on Northwestern, uh, considering unionization, um, Friday's vote, the National Labor Relations Board vote that the players will take part of, take part in and basically decide they want to be part of the union. Mm-hmm. CBS Sports over the weekend was able to obtain a 21-page document, which includes 72 questions and answers broken down by four categories between Northwestern's head coach Pat Fitzgerald uh, to the players and parents. Four categories: player questions, parent questions, staff questions, and background questions. You can Google this and uh, and go to CBSSports.com. Look for more details. But one of the things. In one of the opening paragraphs, uh, Northwestern and Coach Pat Fitzgerald tell players several times in the document they would be, quote, stuck, end quote, with a union if they vote to uphold last month's NLRB ruling to become employees. Is that true, Doc? What do you mean, stuck? Uh, that's an ambiguous term that I think he's trying to say. Hey, what the word you just used? I think they're a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's a way to try to influence negatively the power saying that if they do this, they'll be on their own. Another Um, quote. They're not trying to show support. Mm -hmm. From from Northwestern, quote, and if the union tells you they would just walk away if the players change their mind, don't believe this for a minute. It is extremely difficult to get rid of a union once it is voted in, end quote. If that's the only thing they're afraid of, I think that's still being picked. Oh, I think it's less than petty. Uh, this is about, again, this is about a huge power structure organization that does not want things to change regarding the way they control how collegiate sports are governed. So what he's, Pat's trying to do is get in front of this and negatively, in my opinion, influence the students to suggest if they go with this, there's all this negative ramifications of what will take place. So he's really trying to put in their heads that uh, that what you're doing is not about standing up for the little guy. It's about tearing down uh, the structure, and they're playing on the fears of the students in regards to uh, the emotional attachment they have to 
Northwestern and the head coach and saying that you're going to destroy everything we work for. So that's essentially what he did with his paperwork with those questions. And here's here's some more. Fitzgerald, Coach Fitzgerald and Northwestern, quote, Unfortunately, the petition has been filed and the regional director has ruled that the players are employees. Northwestern agrees with you that you men are students, not employees, and that's why the university is appealing the decision. That process has to go forward, but you can still express your desire to, quote, get back to being student, end quote, by voting no. The background section of the document covers the school's protocol if players strike. If players strike, quote, Northwestern could potentially bring in replacement players, perhaps even asking the walk-on football players to cross the picket line, end quote. And the tension from such a situation would be, quote, unprecedented and not be in everyone's best interest, end quote, for school states. Again, they're playing on the worst fears. No student athlete student has talked about the fact that they're going to strike. <laughs> so he's put out this. So it's all kinds of interesting questions and topics in this document. And yes, it is. And it's you been, read it. it's been verified by Northwestern uh, employees that, you know, it's authentic. So it's all there. If you can go read it for yourself, it's it's very interesting and fascinating uh, what they're trying to do. Quickly on other things, Mark Emmert, NCAA president, going to media tour, foot in the mouth, and putting his foot in his mouth. He was on Mike and Mike, ESPN's Mike and Mike on Friday, made some just sad comments. Well, apparently he and Dan Patrick got into it the other day. Yeah, apparently, and it's on YouTube. The, his interview on the Dan Patrick Show today okay. is on YouTube. Our Right Association, gentlemen, USBWA posted a link to the interview, which I have not had a chance to check out yet, but I will. So his interview is on YouTube. You can watch it. But apparently, he had a few interesting comments. One of them is going to tie your thing locally a little bit regarding uh, Johnny Manziel. What about, Mr. Emmett, what about your opinion on, on college athletes capitalizing on their likeness? Like Danny Manziel, perhaps receiving some percentage of the revenues from all those number two Texas A&M jerseys sold. Emirates just said athletes shouldn't be able to capitalize. Let me say it slowly. Emirates just said athletes should not be able to capitalize on their own likenesses because of quote competitive fairness. End quote. Really? Man, they got no good. I got nothing to say. The best thing he should have said is this: we, we're reviewing all everything out there. And I only, I've only it's heard that on from table. one person, one person. Pac-12 commissioner. No, the new athletic director, Ed Rice, when it was brought up because the uh, new basketball coach was mentioned, and the, and, the, and the first thing out his mouth was, "I hadn't had a chance to check all that because we've been in the process of hiring a coach," and we went on. The interviews process just yeah, went on. Just and at Friday during during his time with, on Mike and Mike, I'm glad I hang out with some people. They, they apparently the NTA or, or Mike and Mike had asked people a tweet with using the hashtag Ask Emmert. I don't believe they expected the type of tweets they received. Exactly, because it was vicious. Vicious. Ask Emmer, who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of bumbling idiot presidents of companies besides yourself? Hey, Mark, 
Do you feel the NCAA is doing enough to help its athletes get a real education? Wait, I don't want to hear lies. Ask Emmert. Hashtag. Hashtag ask Emmert. How much, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck profited off of the work of unpaid labor under the guide of amateurism? Ask Emmert. I run a non-profit. Where can we apply to get free labor like you do? Wow. Did you ever think of going full villain and wearing a Bane mask to press conferences? Ask Emmert. Ask Emmert. What does it feel like to watch the Titanic sink from the captain's chair? <laughs> I would like to know who thought Ask Emmert was a good idea and where do I apply for their now vacant position? You know, the only way they hadn't come up and, and all three of us have heard that in a conversation and discussion pounds, slave labor. Yeah, and and and, and, and I understand the correlation of people put and, and, on it, and, but when but they I use it, it is, sometimes it's in a bad context. No, it's not that. I just think in the world that we live in today, and I understand the correlation of metaphoric phrase that you're using, but because slave has such a negative connotation, I think you do yourself a disservice if you try to use what is happening to these players in regards to how you're feeling about this. And I'm not saying I don't necessarily agree with it. But at one time I used to look at it like that, but I tend to use different terminology because I know how important words are. So I use the term more in terms of indentured servant and things of that nature because it is more palatable. Just to be truthful with you, it's more palatable uh, to mainstream out there. And when you're trying to position yourself um, to defeat something as strong as this, you need to be really careful in terms of where you draw that line. Now, if you're out there just sensualizing everything, sensationalizing everything, excuse me, in regards to um, just trying to get headlines, I think you can use that because that's exactly what you're going to get. But if you're trying to really create true dialogue, I think you do yourself a disservice. And again, I say that not saying I disagree with the framework and the metaphor uh, reference that you're using in terms of that connotation. But I really think that you're talking about the power struggle which in this case is more like indentured servitude uh, in regards to those that have all the control versus those that have very little and those that are making all this revenue associated with it. And I think there's a good point out there with a lot of these people try to use in regards to these commissioners that are coming out lately and saying that this would destroy the structure in regard to all the non-revenue sports, some of them disappearing, which I would say to them that already is happening. Then the other statement is in regards to the fact that what about all the Title IX and, again, Olympic sports, them um, not being able, whether they get paid, and that's just something that is, that is not true, that is out there in regards to how you structure this. Title IX is a whole other issue and it's separate from this. But the point is, is that you have no problem in regards to what I see as welfare in a lot of instances, particularly to those that are destructive and have negative connotations to welfare in terms of how it works in other segments that have no problem with two or three major sports uh, that are associated usually with a high number of African Americans, up to 60% who are generating all this revenue, and that revenue is, is being paid to uh, head coaches, athletic directors, presidents. Most of them are not looking like the players that are generating the revenue. And the biggest benefactors that they usually say are all these non-revenue sports in terms of them honoring scholarships. 
And we know by the percentage, when you look at the number of players playing that, they're heavily up to 90% non-African-American and a lot of times European-American in terms of those getting the benefactors. When you look at that welfare, there's no problem. And it becomes even more negative of an issue because those individuals are doing what they're supposed to. They're having an opportunity to get degrees uh, in regards to that and coming back to their neighborhoods and fully developing their neighborhoods. And I have no fault in that, and I think that's a good thing they're doing. But you're taking out this nugget in terms of the African-American community. We know by graduation rates it's less than 30% in most situations, lower and minimum situations. So they're not able to obtain college degrees that put them in a position to be in the working labor force and that will come back and indulge that neighborhood and build it up in such a way that it becomes a successful factor of the United States and you see this wasteful area and everybody comes back in this negative point and say, see what all these folks are doing in this negative, why should we help them? But you're taking out that nugget of mineral rights and destroying it and not placing it back. And many people really don't look at the overall picture in terms of the damage that is going on. And what I see is the minority and African-American and poor communities that this larger uh, establishment is really raping from it in a lot of ways. Let's, let me, as we wind, wind it down here, let's shift gears and talk uh, Rockets Blazers playoffs. I was at the the game last night. I didn't last call Toyota Center until one fifteen in the morning, roughly. Uh, my goodness, the game, game, the game was, was fun to watch despite the shaky officiating, which was equally bad on both sides. But there was some interesting calls made by just really. But initially, NBA made a statement of data. They made a statement. Yes, they did that they that the refs were wrong in calling the foul on Dwight Howard rather than Joel Freeland, who I didn't even know who Joel Freeland was honestly until last night. I mean, I heard his name a few times, but you know, he made a big statement. He made a free night. throw to uh, put the Blazers up by two, but the uh, Rod Thorne, NBA president. Of basketball operations issued a statement today regarding the play that after video review by the league office, we are determined that the officials were incorrect in assessing a foul to the Rockets' White Howard with 10.8 seconds remaining in overtime. The foul should have been called on the Blazers' Joel Freeland, and Howard should have been awarded two free throws, end quote. I'm still waiting for the league to review Dwight Howard's elbow in the stomach of Robin Lopez. Which the referees seem to have missed. I don't think that's going to happen. And wondered, but he, but he, I saw it. It did happen. It happens, but I don't think, day. I don't think that's And, part and they wondered why I haven't heard any media, local media talk about that at all. But it was clear that, uh, Barbara Lopez reacted and was upset and got a technical foul, complaining to the rest, uh, basically asking them, did you see what the man did to me? See why I'm, I'm slumped over like this? They didn't see that. They teed him up for a, a correct reaction for getting hit in the stomach, or uh, somebody tweeted to me, lower. I don't think it was that low, but, you know. It, it was, was enough still, to bring him over, though. It, 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 it exactly. Reminded so, me of, of a... Uh, too close to <laughs> but let that go. To talk about the game, I predicted, I did a blog post, a preview of the series that I uh, said Rockets in six, and I, and I stated one of the main reasons for it was Rockets have too many weapons for the Blazers. First half, you saw Taylor Parsons play well, 17 points, despite the fact James Harden was struggling. Parsons had 17. Jeremy Lin played well. Um, 
I wasn't, I'm still not concerned with LaMarcus Aldridge going off. He was awesome last night. 46 points, 18 rebounds. Rikes have no answer for him. I expect him to average 40 in the series. But I still don't think the Rikes have enough to beat the Blazers. One key was down the stretch. Damian Lillard took advantage of Patrick Beverly and Jeremy Lin, and he's played better than he has in the regular season matchup where he only averaged roughly 19 points in the four games in the regular season. Damian Lillard ends up with 31 points. The last eight minutes or so of the fourth quarter, Lillard and Marcus Aldridge scored combined for 25 points. The last 25 points for the Blazers. Rockets had no answer for him. They refused. Kevin McHale, bless his heart, bless Ter- Terrence Jones' heart, just left Terrence Jones on an island down there on the, on the post let, to allow L.A. to back him down and, and shoot over him repeatedly with no help, no double-team help. It was just, I don't know what they were trying to do. Rockets had an 11-point lead with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Hmm. Game went in overtime. Then they started overtime scoring the first six points of overtime. And then like a 30 seconds, the game was tied. It's like that because they gave it back-to-back three pointers. One to Aldridge, one to Middleton, two. James Harden did not play well. He was 8 for 28 from the floor. He had zero assists in the second half in overtime. The Rockets as a team only had five assists in the second half in overtime. They mm-hmm. scored 21 buckets. So that shows that they played one-on-one ball, hero yeah, ball. They didn't pass the ball. No team can not get teammates involved. Taylor Parsons was 3 of 11 in the second half, set up a jumper. As me and some other of our media colleagues were commenting, one of Marcus Aldridge picked up his fifth foul, and the Blazers put Aldridge on Chandler Parsons to hide him, basically they didn't want him going against Dwight Howard to try to defend Dwight. Chandler Parsons did not attack Aldridge, did not try to beat him off the dribble. He just set up a perimeter shot that he claimed off the rim, allowing Marcus to hang around in the game yeah. until he picked up a sixth foul. Silly. On a silly, thank you, a silly foul. He, could, he said he said after the game that he didn't think it was warranted. No, that's what easy call for the rest. One of the few things he got right in the ball game. Officially dumb basketball right. is dumb basketball. Exactly. That was it. It was. I mean, it wasn't even necessary to try to set a pick right. in the backcourt there that he did. It was called there. The Rockets got some good news. Patrick Beverly, knee injury is not going to end his the, the run for the playoffs. He, he's likely to play in game two on Wednesday. He has some incredible high threshold of pain. For his body heals, his body heals overnight because there was some talk. I didn't see it, but there was some talk. He was helped back to the locker room, you know, and maybe even helped to his car after the game. That's how much pain he looked, he appeared to be in. So, but he's back. The adjustments the Rockets have to make. They just have to, more ball movement, share the ball, trust each other. Clearly, they'll talk about this before the series started. Omer Ashik is Probably a legit defender against Aldridge, but the rest where they were calling games, especially on setting on illegal picks and things, they call that a lot. Isaac picked up three fouls in like three minutes in the first quarter. So he was done for the first half. Allowed Aldridge to go off. And Terry Jones couldn't help. Terry Jones played well on offense. He just cannot defend. He's not strong enough, not tall enough to defend Aldridge in the post. Yeah. So the Rikes have to decide what they're going to do. If they're going to just double team, front him. You know, how they got to do something. Yeah, and you got to make sure that you well, are not to punish and, him on and, the offensive thanks, side. And break up his rhythm. And that's one thing that kudos to Terry Stotts, head coach, and the Blazer coaching staff. They made a point from the opening tip to get Wes Matthews in the post against James Harden and yeah. make James Harden work in the post over 
and over again. Which I think affected a lot of his offensive He talked game. about that in the postgame. Uh, in my rehabbing and all, I, I now have NBA TV. It's, I'm missing a lot. <laughs> I, I see I'm missing a lot. He mentioned that that he, he said he, he, that was on the board. He said all from the time that they West went, Matthews, the, yeah, from the time that they were the, the the game was scheduled, Harden will not get a a break. He will be your guy to set up front post whatever. Do what you ever you got you got to do and all. He doesn't get that ball down in, in a certain spot. He doesn't get comfortable. If he gets his shot off, it'll be like he got those threes uh, last night. Open, came down on it and, and got an open shot. But as far as him getting it and just going, doing whatever he wants to do, that's over. Done. He, he's, he mentioned that last night. The other thing that, that I was impressed about, one player basically spoke up and said something that I preached often every day, uh, when I'm, folks ask me in, in practice, uh, when I'm, when I'm coaching. Value. The possession of the ball by possession by possession. And that was Dwight Howard. That is not instinctive. That has to be taught. But it has to be taught at an early age. And it has to be ingrained in your brain to know that you value late game positions. When I'm looking at a point guard and somebody's asking me to check somebody out, four minutes. Two at the end of the first half. Two at the beginning of the, of the uh Third quarter and then and, and six minutes and the last two or three minutes of a game, that guy has to be in charge of what's going on on the floor, has to be aware of every situation. His computer has his basketball computer has to be going, and when it falters, like I saw some situations last night, especially the last three minutes of regulation, I got a problem. You can't finish the game for me. You got to sit and watch on the sideline like I am because I can't trust you. Yeah, the Rockets' offense actually broke down. Rockets broke down. Period. They broke down offense with turnovers, missed free throws. They broke down on defense. The three-pointer that they allowed Lillard to tie the game at 104 was off an inbounds play. It was wide open. How, how much of do you think that is just experience in regards to going through a season, including the playoffs, uh, and maybe adding a piece or two? For for who? For the Rockets. For the Rockets, and maybe some additional maturity well, because Doc, I think you go. Lillard is a rookie. Basically, it's his first playoff too. So it's his first time. He he didn't have a problem with the pressure. Well, I'm you saying know. I would suggest that he may not, but I'm not saying he he won't have it the rest of the series. But you also seen both teams have that pressure because really the game uh, could have went either way in terms of what was going on and it ebbed and flowed and teams made mistakes. In regards to that, and I say that's part of the reason why you had a team that are kind of four and five and nobody expects them to go really far in the playoffs because they lack that, that experience, playoff experience, experience yeah. and have maybe uh, people on the team that can add to that and kind of walk you through that experience. And you see teams that kind of need that balance, and that's why I said can you improve on that. And I guess, I'm not saying necessarily, unfortunately, through this, se- this series, but on down the line. Well, well let's see. I'll tell you what. And another problem is, or an issue that's been brought up on local sports talk, is how much are the Rockets missing Kelvin Sampson and his input on offense? I was going to go there. 
suggestions on defense, suggestions on anything. It suggested what, what James Harden suggestions would. Maybe you should double. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should run these yeah. plays. How well, much I think is that anytime an you take away, a, that's an excellent point. Anytime you take away a, a piece of the puzzle, it becomes more difficult. Even if the fact you bring in somebody that is great or even better, you still have the time for them to kind of gel in the comfort level in terms of making those suggestions or understanding the team in itself. So I think that's a, a good point for that missing piece of the puzzle. Tony Parker conducted a timeout situation, drew a play. Ran over some shit. Uh, yeah. some, some, I saw that when I when I saw that in, in the game, I was like, oh, okay, now I know who in charge. But also <laughs> saying so much of that you know, is, not, is, is just being in charge. But you can be in charge. But the question to me, a part about what's so good about Parker is the fact that he's so knowledgeable in terms of experiences he has to know when and when not to say that, and the comfort level that the coach has right. with him doing it because he knows uh, the experience and the relationship he has with him. Allows the benefit of that. I was going to ask you, KG, is that anyone, even with Coach Sampson being there or not being there, is there anyone of those guys that can, from any position, say something during a hat, during a during a timeout, whether it's short or long, and even if even if it's nothing but just a question or. or yeah, I, I don't, is, is, I, is it anybody? You mean a player or, or yeah, coach? a player? I, I'm going with the player right now. Well, after the game, Dwight Howard said all said all the right things. That you know, it's just one game. It's on me. I'll play better. Put it on me. Kind. Of, he said all the right things. But he has to put it in action. And that's that, that's that, my that, that's my question. That he has to put it in action. You know, because to me, this is James Harden's team. But, but we've touched on this in a podcast months ago. He can't. The Rockets are better when he's still passing the ball, distributing to a teammate, they're knocking down shots. He cannot try to do everything by himself, and that's what happened down the stretch. That's what happened at the end of the game. Last that's night. what happened at the end of the game. Right, and I think a lot of that is because, for lack of a better term, they kind of panicked. As you talked about San Antonio, they were down, but. The team that had the experience, even if they were going to lose, they didn't panic from the standpoint that they knew they were going to make a run. Right. And if we make a run, we'll put ourselves in a position. The Rockets, you know, going up 11 should have understood if they had the experience that Portland will make a run. At some point. At some point. But we're okay in terms of our position to be ready to deal with that run. And it, and not panic. the Blazers' run began with the Hacker Howard strategy. He made his first two free throws to put him up 11, but then he missed four in a row. Right. And then the Blazers took advantage of those four missed free throws. Rockets' defense bogged down. But even with him making the point, I thought somebody, they said they're doing the telecast, I'll say this, is the fact that sometimes it's not always about whether the guy makes the shot or not. It always is better if he misses it, obviously. But even if he makes it, sometimes it stops the rhythm of the game. Yes. And the Rockets were playing with a nice rhythm. So even when he made the first two shots, you, you stopped the clock, first of all, uh, and didn't allow him to run down the clock, which means you saved some time. So even if he made it, uh, you had an opportunity to stop the clock. And as long as you make the shots on the other side and you stay in rhythm, you start to stagnate their flow. With the Rocket team that we just talked about, oftentimes that they are stop their own flow. So they don't need anybody else to hesitate that flow that they don't always play with moving the ball 
as a good team should. We'll see how mentally tough they are. I'm not changing my pick. You know, clearly they need to win game two. Um, they did not play their best basketball. And while I'm, while we're being critical of James Harden, he did, he did put them up two points, 106-104, by drawing a foul on Wes Matthews and making the free throws. And with 7.8 seconds left. But in those yeah, last few it, seconds, yeah. that defense broke, defense broke down again. Yeah. Harden got lost on the pick. Wes Matthews had an open three point shot that rimmed out. Then, but, then they didn't box out. Little got one point. put back, missed it, and then Aldridge tipped it in and tied the game up. Right. So that shows you how disjointed the defense was from the jump, from the inbound. So that's two times in the final few seconds that the defense let him down yeah. to allow Lillard's open three to tie it up, and then Aldridge's tip in tied up again to force overtime. So they have things work out. They have to make adjustments. But the playoffs all about adjustment, and we'll see. But I, with all that being said, mm-hmm. as you talked about, there's as many concerns you can have. They still were in a position to win the game. Exactly. That's that's why I'm not gloom and doom about them losing the series because there are things that they can work on. You know, I don't believe James Harden is going to go eight for twenty eight again. But he doesn't need to take better shots. Now, he did not get to the foul line a lot, and that's part of his rhythm. That's part of how he's really effective is getting to the foul line and, and making free throws. So the Blazers did a lot of things well. You know, Hard went to the line 10 times and made eight of them. So I, and it looks like after one game, I'm wrong, but I gave in the coaching matchup, uh, Kevin McHale, a slight edge over Terry Stotts, but after game one, Terry Stotts pushed the right button so far. Yeah. You know, Wes Matthews posting up Harden, not allowing Harden to get off and certain his, into his sweet spot. So it's on Coach McHale and that staff, Rocket staff, to make adjustments to uh, get the win after game two. It's another 8.30, probably 8.45 tip-off. My goodness. I mean, I, I know it's for TV and all, but uh, damn, uh, these uh, late starts are killing people. The fans, media, we were just like, there's some of us realizing I think that the game was in the fourth quarter. Look at the watching with the clock. I'm going to tell you something. It's 1130. It's almost, I can't believe it's 1130. Hey, I thought it was 10 o'clock. You know, the last <laughs> bus, the last 77 MLK, leaving from downtown seven days a week is at 110. Trust me. Looking at that, I watched that game from, from my oh. rehab and I'm going to tell you, it got 12 o'clock. It got 1230. I know exactly how, how long it takes. For me to one run either one direction or the other direction to catch that bus. And folks, it was, the people were still milling around. Couldn't get people out of the lobby, out, out of the lobby, cause I know them. They all went to just, win or lose, especially during playoff season, folks are moving slow. Yeah, they want to soak it all in. You know, they thinking about the job, but those people left around the third quarter, fourth, middle of the fourth quarter, cause when the game was over with, those people that's going to work the next day, actually going to work, they've gone. They've left. Everybody else that's looking at this hang out, they still sitting around there, and they think it's okay. What's What's intriguing to me is about a number, which just really lets you know how much TV dictates. Oh yeah, yes sir. Yeah, oh yeah. The sports today is the numbers is suggesting that it works. And back in the day when games were played at the summit, and they were all tape delay, we talking about ten thirty start for West Coast game here. I mean, they, they play, the Rockets are playing here at home, and the game starts at ten thirty. Going live after the news is over. With. I remember that the the, and the, the, the Ralph Sampson shot that game started at ten thirty. 
And I definitely would not and forget. I stayed up and that was a cool I woke Ooh, everybody up I was in the young house. then. Good thing. I was young then because that, that game me I like woke everybody up in the house because when he hit that shot, as they say, you could have heard a cat piss on cotton in the country. That's where, that's how quiet it was. Inside We're going to wrap it up. We've gone great, great, great podcast. Doc, thank you for your insight as always. I'm going to shock you, sir, if you haven't seen it already on, on the internet. See if you heard this. It came down this evening. Sean Obi had transferred to Duke. Right South big man, Sean Obi. Freshman, all freshman team. Sean Obi has transferred to Duke. Good thoughts, sir. I'm going to say something to you. Duke was one of the schools that was on his uh, list before he signed with Rice. That's all I'm saying. Well, obviously, he, it's a smart young man. Hey, but things would, if it doesn't work out here, I know I got that option. And, I, and Doc, you always say, an education makes you look at the world totally different. And new, new, new regime, Mike Rhodes. Speaking of uh, Coach Mike Rhodes at Rice, he, he signed, I was signed a player today. Bishop Mincy from California, 6'5", uh, guard out of high school, is signed with, with the new coaching staff at Rice. Wingman? So, yes. Oh, so, I like uh, those slim ones. Those slim so ones we'll that you oh, call them. And one more thing, touching on the Rice here, good and bad. Jessica Custer, Rice legend, best player in the history of Rice basketball, signed a freedom contract with the San Antonio Silver Stars in the WNBA. So good luck to her in WNBA camp. It's ironic when she was a freshman. I said to her, I suggested to her, got that a shot coming. She is good enough to play in the WNBA. She did not believe it. She really had no WNBA thoughts as a freshman. Still don't. Still didn't. So, as a senior, she still did. So good luck to her, because clearly some people do believe that she right. does have WNBA ability. So good luck to Custer. Uh, wrap it up, gentlemen. My folks, how they can find you. I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me on Twitter at JL Woodley Jr. One. You can find me on other media platforms, Blogger, uh, YouTube, at AKSV VCSR. And all, all three of us are at our Facebook website. Absolutely. Check it out. It's starting to, it's starting to build. We're moving kind of slowly right now, but Days are coming. Yeah. Days are coming. I understand. Yes, I'm Dr. Geniata Cavill. You can email me directly at kcavill at thg-agency.com. You want to ask me any questions, best place to do that, obviously, as we said, is on the social media platform of Facebook for uh, the website. I mean, in terms of the Facebook for the podcast. If you want to follow me on the social media platforms, you can do that at Twitter. Facebook, as well as Instagram, and it's Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, it's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. I post pictures in there, like when I was in New York, uh, in regards to the 2014 Major League Baseball Diversity Business Summit. I posted a lot of pictures there from that event, and when I travel, I'm going this week to Columbia, South Carolina, as I said earlier, to present a research paper in regards to HBCU. Um, where are they going forward in terms of past, present, and persistence with the professor from uh, University of Connecticut, oddly enough, and one that is a Ph.D. student at Texas A&M University in regards to sports management. So it's kind of played as full, closing out the semester, and looking forward to a break here. But, again, uh, those are the social media platforms you can follow me. 
obviously you can get the information in regards to the um, honors that I posted in terms of HBCU mid-major and major division for HBCU sports. The basketball version, you can do that at DHRR, the Houston Round Ball Review. That's T-H-E-H-R-R.com, the Houston Round Ball Review. Look for that information coming in the near future. Thank you very much, Doc. I'm KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Houston Round Ball Review is the Instagram account. Houston Round Ball Review is on the YouTube channel. The website, as Doc mentioned, is www.thehrr.com. Also, HoustonRoundBallReview.com if you wanted to spell it out. I'm on Twitter at THEHRReview. We touched on a lot of different things today. Hope you appreciate the podcast. We're still trying to get sponsors. We haven't forgot about that. We still need sponsors. We still want sponsors. Need, want, you decide. Uh, Sponsors for the podcast. We're already looking toward the future and other areas, so keep that in mind. Feel free to post your questions on our Facebook podcast page. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, It's playoff time in the NBA, which is my favorite time. I'm going to wrap it up, as I always do. Gentlemen, thank you for your, your insight. We'll work on, we'll get together and decide when our next podcast is going to be. So stay tuned for that. Uh, follow the, like the uh, Facebook page, podcast page for that. So you can get information about when our next podcast will be. You can look for the podcast on, in iTunes, as well as on SoundCloud.com. So different little social uh, media platforms for you to access our podcast. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for uh, supporting us. Thank you for telling your friends about the podcast. I was surprised to see the number of likes on the uh, our, the homepage of the podcast on my website, HoustonRoundBarview.com. It's a number that surprised me. It's larger than I thought. So I'm, good. I'm glad of that. I'm going to pat us on the back. Indeed, we're good. Indeed, we're, we're, as Wildcat said, it's uh, it's growing. You can We can see things getting better. We can see things, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. So as always, I'm going to wrap it up as I do. And have not, my colleague at work has not forgotten about our World Cup discussion coming on later on. So uh, that's on the table uh, in a few weeks. So I'm going to wrap it up. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.